Ephesians, and we have been covering uh, this whole book of Ephesians verse by verse, and the reason for that is we wanted to give you, the people of 6-8, a, a tool, the, the, the foundation, the knowledge that you need, the application, the truth that you need to live as children of the light, like, like uh, Paul is talking about here. We want you, you know, our, our aim and our goal is not to have a lot of people here on Sunday, but our goal is to have people who come on Sunday and then go out and shine the light of Christ in the world during the week. And so our emphasis is on teaching you, like we talked about last week, equipping you with the tools and, and the knowledge that you need to live the life that shines. So like we started way back in last November talking about that idea. And so as we've been going through this, that's been our whole goal to give you just a, a wealth of knowledge and information and truth and application so that you can live a life that shines. And we spent the first three chapters talking about the why, why we want to live this kind of life. And we talked about the power for the kind of life that we want to live and how it comes from the resurrection, this resurrection power, and, and how this gift of God is actually the gift of victories that have already been won, and that our position in Christ is that we have already won the victory in Him, and so now we live and fight and breathe from a position of victory. We're not trying to earn our victory. We have already received it because of Christ, and so now we are living that out on a day-by-day -day basis. And so as we've turned last week, and we're going to continue to turn this week. Now we're moving into the practical what. This is the what of our faith. This is what it looks like to live out being a children or a child of the light. And so when you hear these things, don't just hear the lists like we talked about. Don't just hear the list of do's and don'ts, the to-do's and the to-don'ts that, that we so often associate with our Christianity because that, in essence, is just boiling it down to religion, and religion is lifeless. And we don't want lifeless religion. We want powered relationship with Christ. And so our goal in doing this is not to just give you a list each week. Okay, here are the seven things. There are seven things we're going to talk about today, but these aren't, it's not if you do these things, you earn your position. You have been gifted this position with God, and so we live out our faith in this way. And so we're going to look at that, but before we do that, we get to cover really one of the best, most exciting passages in Ephesians. This is one of my favorites, um, one we've talked about many times in many various ways, but I love this passage. So I want to read the first little bit for us, and we'll talk about that, and then we'll spend the rest of our time on the last few verses. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, I'm reading out of the NIV, the 1984, the old version of the NIV, so it's going to be just a little bit different from what you have in your app. But I want to read this in the NIV, and then I actually want to go and read it for you in the message. Does anyone ever read in the message? You ever heard of the message? Read your, your daily Bible in the message. If you haven't done it and you struggle with reading and understanding the Bible, it would be a great place to go and read uh, the Bible in the message. The message is not a translation. It's a paraphrase. So Eugene Peterson, he went through Scripture and he paraphrased it in modern-day language, how we would talk about it today. And so if, you're, if you've struggled with understanding what Scripture is actually saying when you're reading through it because it's translated from Greek and they put their sentences together in a lot different way. In fact, nearly all languages put their sentences together in a way different way than we do when we speak English. We're the weird ones that stand out, but that's what we do, right? Go America. We stand out. We do things differently than everyone else. But um, if you really struggle with it, go read it in the, in the message and then come back and see if that doesn't add clarity 
to uh, the NIV or NLT or whatever translation you use. So let's read it first. And actually, let's read it first in the message and then come back and read it in the NIV and see if that informs our understanding. Verse 17, and so I insist, this is Paul speaking, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to Him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. Now let's read this in, in, the, in the NIV and see if we can gain some understanding. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness." Hopefully that idea sounds familiar, putting off the old and putting on the new. And um, I don't know if any of you have struggled with this, but uh, we live out on the farm, uh, way out on the farm up in North Clark County, and I uh, live on Grandpa's old farm and live in Grandpa's old house, 100-year-old house, 100-year-old farmhouse. And it's been winter, and there's a lot of things that we learn about old farmhouses in the winter months. Uh, they don't hold heat very well. If you didn't know that, you know, old drafty houses don't hold very uh, much heat. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But uh, another thing that's kind of gross, and if you're kind of squeamish, I apologize, but uh, uh, one of the problems that we have had is mice. Anyone just love having mice in your house? That's what cats are for. Yeah, we have cats. We just have more mice. They don't get in the actual house, but they get in the basement, and they get in the attic, and it's just, you know, it's just gross, and I don't, like, I don't like mice. They just, well, they, it kind of reminds me of this passage. They're just, they're just filthy, right? They, they don't care about cleanliness. Like, they don't care that you just swept the floor and leave whatever, I'm not going to go into detail, on the floor, but, you know, it's just, it's just gross, right? Mice are disgusting. And so we've actually caught 
This is going to make nobody want to ever come to our house ever again. Um, 19 mice in the last three weeks, right? Yes, thank you. That is, that is a, uh, I have become quite the skilled mouse trapper, but you know, so I know things now that uh, maybe you didn't know before, like at least that I didn't know about how to really catch mice. You know, it's like sometimes if you've got, if you got a, lice, a lot of mice coming through, you have to have enough traps so that if you catch one overnight that there's still another trap to catch another one if you have more than one coming through. So we have two traps in every spot instead of just one. And, you know, you have to get the right kind of mouse trap. You don't get the cheap plastic ones. You know, you get the metal ones. The Victor is what they're called, I think. And uh, they're, they are the most sold mousetrap, and they're the most sold for a reason, because they have a metal bait thing on it, and you can adjust that little tab on there. So, you know, when a mouse, you know, barely puts its hand on there, that thing is just going to come snapping down, and goodbye mouse, right? I mean, I know a lot of you are probably like uh, PETA people, and, you know, how dare you kill mice, but there are literally trillions of mice on the planet, so I'm not worried about killing off a few around where I live, but... Um, so I've learned a lot about mice, but what I've learned the most is that m- mice are just disgusting. They just do whatever they want to do, wherever they want to do it. They don't care about your life and your stuff and your goods. They will chew their way through your most prized possession if they think there's something in there worth finding. They don't give a uh, darn about anything. It's almost like they're just kind of selfish, like they're just existing for their own benefit, you know? It's like they only, all they care about is making sure they get enough food to survive and everything else that they have to do in order to get food, well, that's just kind of a part of life and we're going to do whatever it is. And I was thinking this week as I was dealing with mice in my car, I mean, come on, mice in your car, isn't that just, I mean, that just puts you over the top. When I had when I figured out that I had a mouse in my car, I just about lost it. I mean, a mouse in my car, and then had to deal with cleaning up all the mouse in my car, and caught it, it's dead. But um, what I realized, dealing with the mice, I know this is probably not the best illustration, but you're all thinking about mice, now you're going to go home and set traps, because you're just worried about, you know, people are probably itching, because like, are mice crawling on me right now? And it's like, they could be. I don't know. Just, you know. just if you see a mouse, just step on it and take care of it for us. But that's kind of the way of the world, right? That's kind of the way of the world that Paul is talking about. Listen to, listen to Paul's description. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Futile. It's like, they're just existing basically to survive. It's, you know, everything is basically to just get by. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Doesn't that sound like mice? That's exactly what mice do. It's like they don't care about anything. They've lost all sensitivity They've given themselves over to sensuality. We're not going to get into the biology of mice and all of that stuff. You can go read about that online if you want to know. With a continual lust for more. Up until the last days, uh, mice are like teenagers. That's, 
Yeah, somebody just texted that in. That wasn't my statement. Someone, I don't have any teenagers in my house yet, but uh, I'm sure I will agree with that in the very near future. A continual lust for more. Up until the day they die, mice are just continuing to try to get more and more and more and more at the expense of who cares. Isn't that kind of how the world works? Isn't that kind of the world that we live in? It's like, you know, it doesn't matter what you want. All that matters is what I want. It doesn't matter what you think. All that matters is what I think. And now we live in this, this really weird spot in our society and in our culture where everyone is, you know, not only entitled to their own opinion, but they're entitled to their own truth. And now this truth has become the dominating thing in my life. And since I get to decide what's true for me, then you have to succumb to my truth, but then your truth might disagree with my truth. And what happens when our truths don't line up with one another? And what happens is we fight and we end up, you know, destroying one another whatever way we can so that we can resolve whose truth is the better truth by violence and force. You see, it's, it's not a community out there in the world. The world is not really trying to live in community. The world is not trying to live in unity like Paul has been talking about in the first part of this chapter, and his whole focus is one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He's talking about the unity that we should all be brought together under the blood of Jesus Christ and through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, but the world is out there living saying, it's, it's mine, 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 mine like uh, uh, the seagulls and finding Nemo, right? It's, it's mine. It's all mine, and we're just going to fight for mine until I get mine, and you know, who cares if you get yours as long as I get mine? But Paul is going to make it clear. So you don't live that way. That's not who you are. That's, that's not how you were designed. Now that you're in Christ, you have this new life in Christ, and you have to put off the old and put on the new. So this old nature that was saying, mine, 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 and now when you put on the new nature of Christ, it's saying, you, 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 how can I help you? How can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I care for you? How can I make my life more a reflection of Jesus Christ? Verse 20, you, however... Did not come to know Christ in that way. That's not what you know. That, this is not your truth. Now, let's listen very carefully because he's going to talk about the real truth here. Yeah, it's because the animal feed and hay. Yeah, we've got a lot of animal feed and hay out on the farm. Attack that area with fury. Uh, someone was telling me about how they had seen a video I'm easily distracted, by the way. That's why we do this. But um, someone was telling me about a video that they had seen someone dealing with mice and getting out the flame torch, right? The, the, it's like, that's kind of how I see my, that's the next phase of my operation. If I can't get it under control with this, I'm just going to get out the blowtorch, and we're just going to burn it all down. Verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So Paul is talking to the whole church at Ephesus, right? He's talking to all of the Christians at Ephesus, the, the town of Ephesus, or the place that we call Ephesus. And so he's talking from the outside, and he's, he's saying, surely you heard of him, right? Okay, I, you know, I'm sitting outside your story, but surely you heard of Christ, and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So here's the truth. What, were the, what is the truth that he's hoping that they were taught? Well, he's going to reiterate. He said, you were taught 
with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what we were taught. This is, this is the essence of, of our faith, the foundation of our action and that's going to guide what we're going to do. And if we don't get it right, then we're going to just revert back to lifeless religion. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And what we've said so many times before, but we need to say again and again, is that we cannot earn our position with God. It's something that Christ gifted to us. And so we cannot, we cannot put you know, lipstick on the pig of our old corrupted des- desires and our old corrupted nature and hope that by the religious acts that we do, we can earn our position with God because God's going to see right through that very clearly. What we have to do is we have to actually, through the gift of Christ, and putting our faith in Him and baptized in Him, like we talked about last week, you know, being buried with Him through baptism and raised to new life in Christ, right? Through the gift of the baptism and the Holy Spirit and receiving all of these truths that are true of Scripture, now we put off the old life. We completely get rid of it. It's, it's death, and we are dead to that, and we don't embrace it any longer. I want to speak for just a minute about some of the struggle that I see going on in the world today. I'm not going to get into any political issues. I never used the pulpit for that. That is not my position. My position is to share you, uh, share with you the truth of Scripture. But there are a lot of issues that we want to start bending the truth of what God says for us as believers. I'm not talking about those who don't believe. I'm talking about followers of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of issues where, where we, you know, the voice of the world around us is so boisterous and loud and strong that it's, it seems like it would be easier and maybe even in the best interest of the church to just let some of them go and embrace the corruption. And even if we don't go there, if we, even if we don't talk about some of the big issues that, that the world is trying to, to push on us as followers of Jesus Christ, even if we leave that behind, there are for each and every one of us areas of the old, corrupted, dead life that we still kind of like, right? If we're being honest with ourselves, that, that, that they still kind of have a little bit of a hold on our lives in one way or another, And what we want to do is instead of embracing this new life in Christ, this resurrected life where we have this true life that we can only ever dream of, we want to try to, as best we can, it's like, well, I understand that I'm I'm new in Christ, but I I just want to hold on to this one thing. And so we kind of drag the corpse behind us a little bit, right? I mean, picture The Walking Dead and dragging some, I I don't know if anyone watches The Walking Dead. We do. I like The Walking Dead. Um, I confess. to you, they may not, might, might not be the most pious thing for your pastor to like, but, you know, it's like uh, um, Michonne, right, when they first show Michonne in, in the show, and she's off by herself, and she's, uh, this is disgusting, but she's taken two zombies and cut off their jaw, and 
cut off their arms, right? So they can't, they can't deal with her, and she's got them chained up, and so they're docile, and she just kind of has them chained to herself, and she walks around dragging around, essentially, these two dead guys behind her. Uh, that's, her that's her camouflage. And, but don't we kind of do the same thing? It's like we just kind of try to drag death behind us as, as long as we can, and maybe, you know, we think, well, it's hard really being like Christ, and it's getting harder to be like Christ out in the world that really doesn't just not believe but are becoming even militant against the truth of Christianity. And they don't just, want, they don't, they don't just you know, deny our truth anymore. They actually reject it with a passion. And we think either for our own personal desires because we like it or we think because, well, if I just continue to do this and if I continue to embrace the, some of the aspects of the life that those outside of Christ know, if I continue to just embrace a few of these things, then that makes me more relevant and I can, you know, I can walk with them and, and know what they're talking about. But we were taught with regard to our former way of life, that we have to put off our old self. Why do we have to put off the old self? Because the old self, the old life, the who we were before Christ came in and took over, redeemed and started to transform us into the redeemed image of His Son. That old life is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And as long as we are trying to live In the corruption, we will always be being corrupted. And maybe that's the struggle that some of us face day in and day out, is that we just haven't really laid down the old life. We just haven't put it behind us once and for all. We just still like it too much, and we don't really see the truth of the hope and the joy and the life and the peace that Christ has for us, and we haven't fully embraced the new life, and we just We need to lay it down. We need to just let it go and put it behind us once and for all and be made new in the attitude of our minds. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's my prayer for me and us as a church. I pray every week as I get up and teach and we go through these books of the Bible or whatever it is we're talking about is, is that God would just use the truth of His Scripture to make us more like Him in righteousness and holiness and the attitude of our minds. That we put on the new self just a little bit more. Maybe you know, we, just, we take a few more steps toward the newness of life that Christ has for us and a few more steps away from the death. And that we start to see the, the hope not only for the future and the resurrection like we sang about, that we believe there is a day coming when Christ will open up and part the clouds and everything will be made new again and we'll have this resurrected life in perfection and be face-to-face with the God who created everything. Yes, we dream about that, but, but God also promises and desires to transform us in the here and now, and He doesn't want to leave any of us like we were when we were corrupted. He wants to come in and take over and renew our minds and transform us into the likeness of His Son. So let's let it go. Let's, let's put it down. Let's, let's, let's walk away from it once and for all and now start to embrace the characteristics and the traits of this new life in Christ. 
And I think what Paul is doing throughout the rest of this scripture, throughout the rest of his letter to the Ephesians, is not giving us a list, but he's saying, you know what? You want to live like Christ. You want to have the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ. Well, here are some of the things that that you're probably struggling with in corrupted ways that you need to start thinking about in redemptive ways. And if you start doing these things, you'll start to see and live these out, and you'll see the difference between corruption and redemption. Verse 25 Therefore, every time you see a therefore in Scripture, you've got to go back and see what the therefore is there for. We just covered all that, so we're good. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Now, for the rest of these verses of chapter 4, we're going to get seven things to do and to don't, okay? So here's the first one. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. What does that mean? Well, to speak truthfully to his neighbor, well, I think there's a couple of applications. When we speak truthfully to our neighbors who are in Christ, then we're speaking truthfully about what we see in their lives and and how we can help sharpen them as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and we want to be sharpening agents of one another. So when we live in community with one another, we need to help sharpen one another to be more like Christ so that we can go out and live the life that we're supposed to live. So that's what it means to speak truthfully. We don't like to do that very much anymore, I'll be honest with you. We're a culture and a society that kind of shies away from the truth. We shy away from anything that looks like confrontation. And as a result of that, none of us are really strong believers anymore. We're just kind of weak and rootless. But we need to speak truthfully to one another. That's what I hope you'll do with me as maybe you see things that don't measure up, is that you'll come to me and say, hey, you know what, you talked about this, but I don't see that in you. Can I help you get there? Can, can I help walk with you as we get there? And, and I hope that's the kind of community we create among one another, is that we speak truthfully to one another, not, not in a, con, you know, a condemnation kind of a way where we're just trying to bring down condemnation on one another and, and you know, you know, boy, uh, puff ourselves up so that we can look down on those around us. But no, we see, we see the potential and we see the hope and we see the life that we're not living out. And if we just kind of fix this one thing, then it'll help a little bit and you'll start getting more and more on the right track. I don't know if you remember way back in the very beginning when we talked about sailing and how all of these things that Paul was going to give us later on in in the book were actually going to be just kind of little adjustments to the sails and keep us going full force with the power of the Spirit filling our sails and pushing us forward with all the power of God. And from time to time, our sails get a little bit off, and, and you know, they start to, was it luff a little bit? Is that what it's called? Luft, lufting? Lift? I don't know what it's called. They start flapping in the wind. That's, you know. And so you have to adjust them a little bit, right? And so these are the adjustments that we might have to make. And so he's just going to kind of give us a little bit of adjustments, pull in here a little bit and, and pull in here a little bit and, and adjust here and, you know, go up, change the angle. You know, these are just a little bit of adjustments that if we start making these adjustments, we're going to get the power of God blowing and pushing us forward, and we're going to walk in the truth of who God says we are. So we need to speak truthfully to one another, and that's how we're going to do that, by helping one another make these adjustments. But we also need to speak truthfully to those who aren't in the faith. One of the hardest things to do is to speak truthfully to those who aren't in the faith. Be honest with you, it's hard. It's hard when somebody who doesn't know God is passionately pursuing something that goes right against what God says. And we want to, you know, 
every kind of fiber of our being wants to just kind of say, it's okay, you know, just, just, just go ahead, it's no big deal, just go ahead and embrace whatever form of corruption you want to embrace, and you know, don't, don't worry about it, you know. But then, what happens when, you know, they start coming closer and closer to faith in Christ, and hopefully at some point they put their faith in Christ, and we've generally kind of accepted all the forms of corruption and just say there's nothing wrong with all of this, and you can luff, or luffing, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, we just say, it's okay, go, go ahead and live this kind of life, don't worry about it, and then hopefully they come into Christ, and then now we start seeing the absolute principles of Scripture, and, and they say, okay, well, the Bible says I can't do this anymore, but over here, when I wasn't close to Christ, you said it was okay. Now what? And that's why one of our principles as a church is we don't condemn, but we don't condone. We're not going to condemn the unbelievers for being unbelievers. We're not going to condemn those who don't know Christ for living like they don't know Christ because they don't know Christ. They cannot possibly live like Christ. But we're not helping them by condoning corrupted behaviors either. And so we have to, with the fullness of Christ and the fullness of the Spirit in us, in relationship, don't you dare go do this on a street corner. You do this with someone you know and you love and you've built a relationship with. You speak truthfully to your neighbors. And God will use the truth. God always uses the truth. Jesus was grace and truth. Verse 26, the second thing. Sorry, I'm getting bogged down here. I need to move on. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. One of the things I really like about the message and way uh, Eugene Peterson puts this is don't let yourself be controlled by anger. And the reason he does that is because elsewhere Paul talks about being controlled by other things. Don't be controlled by alcohol. That's one of the things that he says and we're supposed to be only controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that's supposed to have total control of us. And here in verse 26, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You see, what anger does is when we, when we let it stay unresolved in us, and when we let anger just kind of fester in us, what it does is it, it just gives this, this perfect position for, for Satan. Yes, we have an enemy, and I'm not going to get into a, a lot of talk about Satan because I just personally don't like to give him a whole lot of credit for anything because he's just he's a loser. I mean, that's about the truth of it. But what we do is we give him this foothold, right? I don't know if anyone has ever done any climbing, but if you're trying to climb up anything, you need a foothold to get there. And you just kind of give Satan this position to just kind of stick his heel in and, and he can just kind of keep grinding on us, kind of keep driving us down, keep pushing. It's like, ah. why would we do that to ourselves? Why would we let anything be a foothold for our enemy? In your anger, do not sin. So don't be controlled by anger. Don't let your anger drive you to do things, to hurt people, to, to speak ill of people, to put people down, to, to physically harm anyone. Don't let your anger cause you to sin. But he also says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. If you have got something that you're angry about, get rid of it today. Just go deal with it right now, and you'll have peace tonight. Speak truthfully. Don't... Let anger control you. Verse 28, he says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, 
doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. I don't know if anyone in here steals. We probably all steal in some form of way, like we just, you know, take a few post notes from work or, you know, we don't work well. We're not using our time on the clock well. We kind of goof off here and there, and so we're stealing time from the company. They're paying us to be there to do and perform certain functions, and we don't do those functions because we're playing solitaire or screwing around on Facebook or whatever, and, you know, so we're kind of stealing a little bit, but what, what Paul says, if you've been stealing, don't steal anymore. And he makes the transition again like he's going to do in all of these. This was your old way of life. Now the new way of life looks like like this. Don't steal any longer, but you need to do something useful with your hands. That you may have something to share with those in need. We all have a responsibility. We're all designed and created to be useful and to do things that contribute, not take away from the world around us. And so, are you contributing to the world or are you taking away from the world? Are you, are you contributing to the people around you or are you taking away from them? And if you are taking away, then what you need to do is start doing something useful with your own hands. Very clear, your own hands. Provide for yourself. Do your own work. He's going to talk about that a little bit later on. Why? The why is so that you have something to share with those in need. It's not so that you can contribute, you know, so that you can hoard everything for yourself. It's so that you have something to share with those who are in need. So even if you're not stealing, even if you're working for your own money, the question is, are you sharing with those who are in need or are you hoarding it all for yourself? Tell the truth. Don't let anger control you. Do something useful with your own hands. Verse 29. And don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Has anyone noticed how uh, over the last you know, five or ten years, the, the words that are okay to say in you know, TV have kind of started to drift a little bit more and more vulgar, right? I mean, there, there are more words that are okay to say now in primetime television than there used to be when I was growing up, and we've just kind of drifted as a culture to saying, these words are okay, you can say these now, and these ones are still profane. And I think that drifting has actually, you know, caused us in the church to actually drift too. We think some words are okay to say, you know, but it's more than just, you know, a few words. It's about the content of what we're saying. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What about the way you talk at work? The way you talk when, when unbelievers are around, are you talking in a way that, that kind of bolsters and builds up the corruption that all the unbelievers are still living in, or are you talking in a way that lifts them up out of that? Are you talking in a way that benefits those who don't know the truth, or are you just kind of trying to fit in and, and be a part of that? Or how about the tone of what you're saying to those who are hearing you? Is the tone of your words Helpful. Is the tone of your words building and benefiting those who listen? Or maybe you're saying things that aren't so bad, but the tone is tearing people down. Do you need to work on the tone? Are your words wholesome? Are your words building up? Are your words lifting others up? 
according to their needs. Notice our conversations are not supposed to be built around and based on my needs and what I think I need to talk about and what I need to dump on you. It's based on the needs of others and my talking and lifting others up and speaking life. When was the last time you even checked what's coming out of your mouth? Have you heard yourself talk lately? Maybe you just need to stop and and listen. You need to stop and listen to what's coming out so that your words are edifying, not terrifying. Do your words speak life or do your words speak death? Do your words speak the hope of the resurrection or do your words speak the death of corruption? What do you dwell on? What do you think on? What are the things that that you are consumed with? Because those are going to come out too. Paul's going to say in Philippians chapter 4, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever, whatever is of good repute, whatever is all of these things, this grid that we're supposed to walk out, that we're supposed to evaluate our thinking, and then our thinking comes out in our words. Are we thinking about the right things so that the truth of God can come out? Or are we obsessing over things that lead us into corruption? Speak truthfully. Don't be controlled by anger. Do something useful with your hands. Speak life. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This was something that was confusing to me early on in my relationship with God. I didn't quite understand what it meant to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. and So I uh, did some studying on it and Basically, my understanding of it comes down to this. You know, the, God has given us this gift of the Holy Spirit. He says we were sealed for the day of redemption, that, that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the marker on our life that it says, you know what, we're God's, we're no longer the world's, and it's this seal, this mark of God that is now on us, and it's this Holy Spirit present in our lives that actually shows us and shows to the world we belong to something other than the corruption. And so we have the Spirit of God, and we talked about how it is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. He had to ascend and go back to heaven so he could send his Spirit so we could all be powered by that Spirit of Christ to live the life we're supposed to live. And now we, if we put your faith in Jesus Christ, nearly all, Christ, no, all Christianity teaches this, that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit now empowers you to live this Christ-like life, right? That's the truth that, that we all, one of the truths that we all agree on, that the Spirit empowers us to live this life. But what Paul is talking about here is, okay, so you have the Spirit in you, and you have the Spirit reworking your thinking, transforming your thinking away from the old corrupted ways into the new redemptive ways. And so when the Spirit prompts you to avoid something and to embrace something, what you need to do is pay attention. Okay, you're kind of going back into this old habit, this old pattern, this old routine that looks a lot like corruption, and the Spirit of God is going to spark to life in you and say, walk away, walk towards me. And what Paul is talking about is don't grieve the whole, this is at least my understanding, if, if you have a deeper understanding, you'd love to talk to you about this after, after the service, but what he's saying is when the Holy Spirit is prompting you, when you feel that urging in you by the Spirit of God saying, don't do it, don't go there, don't walk towards it, hey, you're getting closer, you're getting closer, don't do it, man, don't do it. When you feel the Spirit saying, don't, and walk away, and you do it anyway, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit is there to to prompt us away from the corruption and towards the redemption. Are we listening to the Holy Spirit or are we grieving the Holy Spirit? Because God wants us to walk away from death and into life. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us do it. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Hopefully you don't struggle with a lot of those things, but I bet some of us struggle with some of them, especially that first one, right? Bitterness. I struggled with bitterness for a while. Had some things happen to me that I didn't think were quite fair, and a job that I was working, and wasn't treated fairly, I didn't think, and felt like the person who needed to be dealt with was the one that was actually dealing with me in an unfair and an unkind, unjust way, and struggled with bitterness towards that person for a long time. And it wasn't until, you know, I think it was, you know, just the last year or two that I really felt like I had finally given that up to God and just was no longer bitter towards them and could finally start, you know, letting go of that thing that held me in that position for so long. It's just, why would I allow what someone else did to me to keep me from embracing what Christ has for me? It's like, I, this person did this thing to me, and I'm sure things have happened to so many of us in here this morning that, that there have been atrocities performed on many of us in this church that, that just aren't fair and unjust and they're not right and we struggle to let go of them and what that does is it just kind of sits in us and makes us bitter. We, we start to go from being something like wine and useful and enjoyable, something that has purpose and we allow stuff to creep in and turn us into vinegar and we just become sour God has so much for you. Don't let bitterness keep you from experiencing all that God wants to have for you. Rage and anger, if you struggle with those, let's talk. I'd love to help you. Lenders have tempers. That is one of our, uh, one of our things, and uh, I've had to learn how to control mine. Don't always do it perfectly, but Sometimes someone just asks, can we grieve the Holy Spirit uh, the other way? He tells you to do something and you struggle and you don't do it most of the time out of the fear. That is a great question. And yes, you absolutely can grieve the Holy Spirit the other way. Because the Spirit will not only prompt us to live the right kind of life, the Spirit will also prompt us to be generous and love those and care for those and do all the other things that affect the world outside of us to speak the truth and so on. And so the Spirit will be there to kind of prompt us and want us to want us to encourage someone who doesn't know Christ and the only way to encourage them is to kind of speak the truth of Christ to their life and the Spirit's going to not only prompt you but you know, remind you of the truth that you might need to say that that person needs to hear and what happens when you don't follow them that's grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit that way. Thanks for asking that question. That's a good point to make. Brawling and slander. If you're brawling, you're probably drunk and you need to just stop drinking and getting drunk and I don't 
need to go into detail on that, along with every form of malice. If you're doing things to just intentionally try to screw up people's lives, you need to stop it. It's basically how it needs to be said. If you get joy out of messing up other people's lives, well, you probably just need to talk to me after the service. And in verse 32, he's going to finish, finish it off this way, and then we're done. He says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And that's how we have to do all of it. This is what it all has to be wrapped up in. We have to be kind and compassionate to one another. We need to forgive one another. It pains me when people, you know, kind of walk away from a church over a small hurt, and they never deal with the hurt, and seek forgiveness. Let's forgive one another. Let's stop letting little things come between us and, and dividing us and dividing us from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's, let's work the problems out and let our faith grow deeper. Let's let the roots go down a little bit deeper. Let's not keep them from going down because we're not forgiving one another. Let's be kind and compassionate to one another. I know for some of us this is a struggle. You know, we like to kind of put people in their place and, and point out the flaws and the things that don't work, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be cash, uh, compassionate. And when we help one another, we're helping one another out of love and compassion, not arrogance. Why? We do all of this because that's what Christ did for us. We do all of this because Christ forgave us, because God has forgiven us because of what Christ did for us. We didn't do anything to earn it. There was a free gift that was given to us, and we just receive it. And when we understand that, when we truly understand that is what Christ has done for us, then how could we not respond to others in the same way? There's a lot there. I challenge you as you go throughout this week to just reread all of those verses and let them sink in. Go all the way back to 17 through 32. You can read those in about two minutes and just let them really saturate your thinking and let the truth rise up out of them that it's not just a list of things to do, but that if we do them, then that will lead us to the life that God has for us. And see if just working on these seven things this week doesn't really bring about great changes in your life. See if it doesn't bring about changes in your attitude, changes in your way of thinking, changes in your perception and how you see the world. Just see if it doesn't make a big difference because I, I promise you, if we apply the, the practices and the applications that Paul is going to lay out for us in the right manner and the right way that he has laid out for us to apply them, then they will always produce good things in our life. And that's what Paul's desire is or was for the church at Ephesus. That's what my desire is for the church at 6-8. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for us as the band comes and lead us in song and we think about a time of response. I'm going to be in the back if you would like to talk to me. Jim will be back there. Russ will be back there as well. Basically anyone that's just standing up against the back wall is there to pray with you if you want to pray with someone. But I just want to challenge you if there are any of these seven things that are still kind of a stronghold in your life, let's deal with it today. Let's lay it down.
We weren't designed to carry on with the corruption on our shoulders. We were designed to lay that down and embrace redemption. And if you're struggling to let go of one of those things, then let's pray about it. Rob can be in the back too, and we'll all be there to pray with you. And we just, we just want Christ's best for you. That's our whole desire is that, is that the best that Christ has for us becomes the reality in the life that we're living out. But let me just challenge you. Don't, don't just leave it here. Don't just say, okay, I understand what Paul is saying. I understand what God is saying. It all, it all kind of makes sense to me, and maybe I even agree that the principles of it are good, but you know what? It's too hard to change. It's too hard to let it go, and so I'm just going to kind of go back to how I was when I left. Don't do that today. Don't, don't leave it there today. And whether you come and pray with us or not, make a decision now that you're going to allow the Spirit of God to prompt you to start living towards the cross and away from the burden of corruption. Don't just, don't just listen to all of this knowledge that's saturated in the truth of God and not let it change you. Don't, don't walk out here the same that you came in. Do something today to shake off more of the death in which we once lived and put on more of the life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for truth that sets us free. I thank you that you didn't just kind of throw us here and just say good luck, hope it works out for you, but that you laid out so much for us, that you've given us so much to live out, that you've given us so much detail on how to live this redeemed life, how to live this transformed life, and I thank you that you've laid it out there for us and that there's really not a whole lot we need to ask, we just need to apply. Father, I pray for me, I pray for us, I pray for anyone here who's struggling with any of these things. And I pray, Father, that today would be the day that they make the decision now and for the rest of their lives to walk away from whatever it is, that they're going to lay it down once and for all, that it's no longer going to be whether or not I'm going to do that thing, but it's going to be I'm, how am I going to pursue Christ it's going to be, how am I going to listen to the Spirit prompting me away? How am I going to listen to the Spirit prompting me to do good? How am I going to walk towards you today? And to not see the struggles and the bumps in the road as failures, but to see them as just adjustments that we need to make to the sails, not to destroy ourselves because we haven't lived a perfect life, but to just embrace the perfect life that you lived for us. Father, I pray for courage. I pray for boldness. I pray for a desire. I pray for a passion to embrace and live out the truth that you've given to us. Not to create some new kind of religion, but because we are deeply rooted in your love. That our lives are rooted deep in the nature of God. That our lives are rooted deep in the truth of God. And that as we continue to go deeper and to who God is and to who God says we are, that we just cannot help but produce life. Anything that is 
coming up around us, weeds that are choking out our faith, anything that's keeping us from embracing the life you have for us. Father, I pray that you get rid of that today and help us from this point forward to live your life and only your life. In Jesus' name.